We finished up, we were doing for several weeks a, a series looking at some common objections to the Christian faith. Uh, and before that, before we stopped with that series, we were in this uh, series on Philippians. So we're going to come back to Philippians and take two or three weeks to finish up this book. Uh, so Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. This is God's Word. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, this is a, a short passage this morning, but uh, it's your word. And uh, you've called us to, to, to preach and to heed the whole counsel of God. And so I pray, Father, that you would use this scripture, which is trustworthy and true and inspired by you, to instruct us and conform us into the very image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, uh, we are past Halloween, even though we're going to celebrate it here at Grace for a while, evidently. Um, whether we want to or not. But, but since we're past Halloween, we're officially in the holiday season. Uh, and, and because of that, at some point in the next few weeks, you are probably going to get into a parking place battle. Alright? Uh, unless you're like me, you do all your shopping online. But those of you who actually venture out over the next few weeks, you will at some point get into this kind of situation. You're going to be at the Dorman Center or somewhere like that that's just chaotic. It's going to be cold. It's going to be raining. There's going to be no place to park. And you're going to be cruising a lot looking for a parking place. And you're going to see somebody put their reverse lights on them. And they're going to be close to the front door. And you're going to see them start to, to, to back out. And you're going to turn your blinker on. Yeah, I got my spot. God gave me my spot. Uh, and so you're, you're getting ready to, to go into that parking place. They back out. And at the last minute, somebody comes from the other direction. You've had this happen, right? They come from the other direction down the road, and they zip in in front of you. And they take that parking place. Now, what you have to decide at this moment is, do I really love Jesus? Do I, do I really still want to be a Christian right now? Uh, you, 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 you've got this conflict. How are you going to react in this moment? Are you going to, in your head, say, dude, that was my spot, and I don't care if you are a 103-year-old pregnant lady with one leg, you, you should not tell me anything. I don't care. I don't care who you are. You need to give me that parking place. Or are you going to say to your kids, well, kids, he must just not realize what he did. He's kind of lost in his thoughts. He's had a bad day. I'm sure... God will provide a better parking place for us. Are you going to have that conversation with your kids? Or are you going to say, I know I'm going to be late now and, and somebody should say something to them and I'm going to roll down my window and just give them a piece of my mind. And you start rolling down your window and you're like, ooh, she's kind of scary looking. Uh, packing keys. I think maybe, maybe kids, God will give us a better parking place. Let's just, let's just keep driving. All right. We deal with, with those kind of situations, you know, that exact situation, with those kind of situations every day. We find ourselves in conflict. Small stuff, silly stuff, big stuff, important stuff. And we deal with the conflict. We all have different ways 
of trying to deal with a, with a conflict that we get into. Sometimes we compromise. Uh, we try to smooth things over without ruffling any feathers, without really dealing with the issues that are involved. If we can just find peace, then we'll move on with our lives. Uh, we try to control the other person or dominate the other person so that we can get our way in the situation. And then there's my personal favorite, which is I'm just going to avoid the issue and hope that it goes away eventually. Okay, and I just I won't have to deal with it. I won't have to actually work this conflict out. Philippians four, uh, Paul is dealing with a conflict in the church at Philippi with these two women, Iodia uh, and, and Syntyche, which is how I choose to pronounce it. You can use your own. Uh, but but they're having issues, and and we don't know exactly what their issues are because Paul doesn't tell us what their issues are. But they're evidently serious enough, and they've gone along enough that he decides to address this and address them when he writes this letter to the Philippians. Now we look at this, and probably our first reaction is, I'm glad my name isn't in the Bible uh, with God telling me I need to get along with somebody that I've been fighting with. I'm, I'm glad I didn't make that you know that list of honor. But it really could have been any one of us. Alright, me or you or any one of us. Because none of us are immune from these issues. We deal with this conflict. We deal with a situation of conflict every day. Whether it's something small like I want to watch the football game and you want to watch the amazing race. I don't really understand why that's an issue. But 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 we find ourselves in these kind of little silly conflicts, and we find ourselves in bigger ones as well that really can't be damaging to our relationships. And even, Paul seems to be saying, this conflict has gotten so big that it can damage actually the unity of the church that you're involved with. And so there's this encouragement to deal with it. Uh, so what do we get? What sort of guidelines for dealing with, with conflict can we get from these uh, few verses? Uh, Paul calls these two women to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. And, and what I want to do is talk about what that means. What does it mean to agree in the Lord? And then look at why that's important for us to do. And then think a little bit about how we might go about doing that. So what is it that he's asking them to do? And why is that so important? And then how might we as, as God's people today actually put that into practice? So what does it mean when Paul says, I want you to agree in the Lord? I think what he's getting at here is saying, look, you two women are, you are, you are in Christ. That's one of his favorite phrases in the New Testament. That if you're a believer in Jesus, you're in Christ. You're connected to him by faith. And he's saying, both of you, Iodia and Syntyche, you are in Christ. You're in the Lord. You're both connected to Jesus. And because you're both connected to Jesus Christ, you're also at the same time connected to one another. You're connected to Jesus. And because you're connected to Jesus, you're also connected to one another. Why would you continue to quarrel with someone else who also belongs to Christ? With someone else who is just as much in Christ as you are. It, it doesn't make sense for both of you to keep insisting on having your own way when you serve a Savior who didn't insist on having His own way. It doesn't make sense when you refuse to give up your rights and serve the other person when you claim to serve a Savior who gave up his rights and gave up his privileges in order to serve you. Don't you realize that you're in Christ? That you're connected to Christ? 
Now, I think practically what this means uh, for these two ladies was that because they were understanding that, that they were united in Christ and to one another, that then they would sit down with one another and do whatever they could to resolve this conflict. Right? The fact that they are in Christ would be an impetus. It would drive them to say, okay, we need to figure out what's going on here. And again, we don't know exactly what the conflict was, so we don't know exactly what steps would be involved. But I think at a bare minimum, it means that they would sit down and remind each other of the gospel. That they would say, look, we are in Christ. What does that mean? It means we're, we're connected to Jesus by faith. We, we both have believed the gospel. We both have that in common. We're united by that. We, we may have talked about this and talked about that, and we can't seem to disagree on what the, the right path forward is, but we're not going to stay at each other's throats. Even though we may agree to disagree, we're not going to stay at each other's throats because we're united by the gospel. We realize that, that we are who we are because of God's grace. That each one of us is a sinner. That neither of us is more right or righteous than the other. That both of us, even though we're, we're like this, both of us are in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're in Christ. We're saved by the gospel. And so we're going to keep that on the table. That's the thing that's going to keep us coming back to the table and not just walking off and forgetting the whole thing. This fact that we are together in Christ. We're going to keep that on the table so that we don't rip one another apart and possibly even rip a church apart here. Now let me try to apply this a little bit. I think it's, it's really easy for us to get so worked up with somebody else. Other believers is what Paul's talking about here. That we let that issue, whatever it is, we let it obscure the fact that we really do have the gospel in common. That we, we really are both sinners who need Jesus Christ. Uh, somebody complains because they don't like something you've done or, or, or the way you do it. And, and you can't quite see where they're, they're coming from. And they can't quite see where you're coming from. And the relationship deteriorates. And you don't really like them. And they don't really like you. And you don't want to serve them. And they don't want to serve you. You've got these conflicting desires. And before long, the gospel is just kind of forgotten. And the gospel is what has to, to, to draw us back. We have to be drawn back to this main thing. We have to remember that both parties in the conflict are broken. Both parties in the conflict have messiness in their lives. And yet, both parties in the conflict have been saved, have been loved and saved by the very blood of Jesus Christ. Not because you're right about everything in the conflict. We lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of the main thing. And that may be where, some of us may be there, be there this morning. That there's another believer that we're having issues with. And the gospel's not even really on the table. And there's tension. I would I simply appeal to you as Paul does to, to agree in the Lord. To remember this common connection you have in Jesus Christ. And let that be the, the foundation, the starting point. Uh, of, of working through the conflict. Now, why is it so important that we do this? Well, it's important because, as we said before, it doesn't make sense for two people who are who are in Christ to be at each other like this. Um, it, it's a horrible witness to the world around us. But, but perhaps more importantly, 
this isn't the exact kind of thing Jesus came to fix. He came to restore our relationships, not just with God, but he came to restore us and fix us so that our relationships with other people would be restored as well. And then another reason it's important is what we think of as our private disagreements, they often don't stay very private, do they? They can kind of tend to spill over and people start taking sides. Well, I can't believe she said that. Well, I can't believe she said that. And suddenly there are more people than we intended involved in the conflict, even in the situation the whole church is disrupted. Which is why I think Paul makes this appeal in verse 3 to his true companion. Right? Paul appeals here to a third party in, in Philippi, and he wants him to involve himself in helping these two women work out their differences. Uh, one writer in talking about this said, how we handle these differences may say more about the biblical character of our church than how we handle heresy. How we handle conflict may say more about the biblical character of our church than how we handle heresy. Because heresy, once you recognize this, is, is relatively easy in some ways to deal with. We can all say, well, that's wrong. But where our love for Christ really shows up or perhaps doesn't show up, is in how we handle these personal differences we have with each other. And so again, Paul saying, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. It's vital that you agree in the Lord. So, that all sounds great. Uh, how do we go about actually doing that? What are just kind of some practical steps to take so that we might agree in the Lord? Well, if you've got your Bible, turn back to Philippians 2. Um, and I think the, the, one of the first things we can do in helping us to do this is to remember Philippians 2. All right? What Paul's telling us in Philippians 4 is grounded in Philippians 2. So look at Philippians 2, verse 3. Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Uh, when you and I are having a conflict with another believer and we can't quite figure out how to get along with them, Paul calls us to remember this, to remember to count others better than ourselves, to look out uh, not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Ask ourselves a question, on this particular issue, in this particular situation, the, the, this issue that we're having a conflict about, how do I count this person I'm in conflict with as better than myself? myself? Uh, and, and again, he's grounding us in, in Christ and what he's done for us and how he counted us better than himself. How do I count them better than myself? How do I look out for their interests as Christ did, how do I look out for their interests and not only my own interests? They, they think it needs to be done this way. I think it needs to be done this way. I think it needs to happen this way. How do I look out for their interests and not just my interests? All right? So that's easy, right? We're just going to do that. 
Uh, it's not easy. Because we all have these things the Bible calls desires. All right, and this is the, the second passage. Look uh, in your bulletin. This is taken from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So if we're going to actually go about the green of the Lord, right? we start looking at Philippians 2, counting others' interests better than our own. And the second thing we do is heed these words of James, and I think these words call, to, uh, call us to be very suspicious of ourselves. That I need to be very suspicious of my desires. I, I need to ask myself, what is it that I want so badly in this situation that, I, that, I'm, that I'm not getting? And it's what I want, is that what's actually ruling me instead of God? I've told this story, I know before, and I'm going to tell it one more time, and then I'll, I'll retire it for two or three years, maybe. But, but Paul Tripp has this story he tells in his book, War of Words. It's a hypothetical story, uh, 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 or parts of it, anyway, of sitting in his office at work, and he's, and he's thinking about his wife, and how they've got four kids, and they're both really busy, and they just don't get much time to spend together, just the two of them. And so in his mind, he's sitting there in his office and he cooks up the scenario of what he wants to do when he gets home. And he's going to go home and he's going to surprise her and say, look, honey, wherever you want to go, we're going to go there tonight. I'll take you out to eat. We'll get away from the kids for the evening. And it'll just be great. Wherever you want to go. And he's playing this out in his mind, he says. And in his mind, he drives home. He opens the front door and he, he tells his wife this. And this is what she says. This is what he imagines that she says. You're finally home. I've been waiting for you. I so look forward to your coming home every afternoon. Uh, he responds, I've been thinking about you and how great you are and how much I love you all day. Let's go out tonight, just the two of us. You pick the place. And his wife says, most of the women I know would love to be married to a man like you. I'll go get ready right now. Okay? Now, that's imaginary. So nobody get your hopes up that's actually going to happen. It's imaginary. Now, what really happens? He says he, he drove home. He opens the door and nobody's there. And so he goes to the kitchen. And, and in the kitchen he finds his wife refereeing an argument between two of his children. And he just jumps in oblivious to the situation. He says, Luella, I've got this great idea. I want to take you out to eat tonight. She doesn't even hear him. And so he's, he's not discouraged yet. And so he, he says it again. I, let's have this special night. I've thought it all out. We can get away. It can just be the two of us. And she just, just lets out a sigh. Okay, there's still no real response. And he still hasn't given up. He says, wait, 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 wait. Maybe you don't understand me. I'm saying, I'm going to take you out. Just the two of us. No kids. Wherever you want to go for the evening. She sighs again. And she says, do you, do you really know what my day's been like? I've been the sole peace negotiator here between these two that are starting World War III in our house. And I'm exhausted, and I don't want to get dressed up. I don't want to go out to eat to a fancy restaurant. But, but I would love it if you would just take that money that you're going to use to take me out to eat 
and go get pizza for the kids, give them pizza, and then you can go do whatever you want to do, and I'm just going to go get a bottle bath. And that would just be that would just be beautiful. I'll go to bed early. This is what's happening in his mind as his wife says this. I don't think he actually said this. Uh, but this is what he's thinking. God has blessed you with a husband who really wants to be with you, and this is how you respond? Sure, the bath idea sounds great for you, but what about me? Do you know how many women would love to be married to a man like me? <laughs> Don't we both need to work on this relationship? Seems like we have one thing in common. I'm concerned about you, and you're concerned about you. <laughs> sure, I'll take the kids out. Maybe we'll drive to Ohio for pizza, and you take your sweet time and soak until your skin wrinkles. Guys, I would not recommend that. Now, was it wrong for him to have this desire to spend this evening with his wife? No, it wasn't wrong at all. But, but look at what happened to the desire. The desire was no longer just a desire. It had actually grown into this demand that had taken control of him. He no longer was simply trying to express his love for his wife uh, and show her how much he loved her. He wanted her all to himself. And he refused to let her say no to his desire. It was now all about what he wanted. He had this great opportunity right in front of him to glorify God, to love his wife by serving her, by giving her a break for the evening. But instead, this legitimate desire had morphed into this idolatrous desire in his heart that was ruling him. And so now his wife wasn't somebody he loved so much. She was actually standing in the way of him getting what he wanted. And so what began as legitimate desire had become an idolatrous desire, and it produced this fighting and quarreling. Think about it. Think about that. Think about conflict you're having with somebody else, maybe right now. Are, are you allowing a desire that you have, maybe even it started as a legitimate desire, are you allowing a desire that you have to rule your heart instead of allowing God to rule your heart? Or instead of asking, what does God actually want from me in this situation? What's your functional God at the moment? Is it God or is it your desire? Is it what you want? Uh, I, I saw this working in my own life this week. I, I found an ad... Uh, online where you could trade in an old iPad and get $200 for it from Target. Right? Generational, it's over now, you're too late. Uh, but, but through Saturday, you could take in first generation iPad, take it to Target, and as long as the thing would turn on, they would give you a $200 gift card. And so I saw this and I was thinking, wow, you know, we've, we've got this old iPad we don't use anymore, and Susan just got a new one from her sister, and I'd really that would be kind of cool. It's my excuse to spend too much or something like that because it's $200 of free money. And so I had all these ideas. Well, unbeknownst to me, or depending on who you believe, Susan had also seen this ad. And she also had ideas of, of how to spend this $200. And I was becoming increasingly irritated that she didn't see things the way I saw them. Because I saw it first, right? I saw the ad first. Obviously, I get to decide what we do with this money. Now, fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I was also working on this sermon at the same time. Um, and so this passage kind of comes to light. And you're like, what, 
what's really ruling my heart at this moment. It's, it's my desire, my out-of-control desire that's ruling me right now. Um, and I was also, as I was reading this, I, I, was, I was also reading a book, kind of get ready, called Relationships, a, a Mess Worth Making, that some of you have read. And it talks about how our sin shows up in our conflict. And I could, I could really see some of these things in my own life. And maybe you could see some of these as well. And I think it's just another way of um, helping us to see why we need to be so suspicious of ourselves when in the midst of conflict. And, and here's some of the things they pointed out. One is that sin makes us self-centered. So because I tend to be self-centered, when I get into conflict, my default mode is not going to be what's best for them or what God wants. It's just going to be what's best for me. That, that's where I'm going to start when I'm in the middle of conflict. Instead of saying, what would God have me to do? I want to do what I want to do. What's best for me? Because I'm self-centered. Uh, sin also makes us desire self-rule. Instead of God being in charge, I'm in charge. And because I'm in conflict with you, I need you to do what I want you to do. Okay? I, I want to actually to rule you. That's what my sin nature wants, makes me want to do. I want to control you and have you do what I want to do. Uh, sin makes us think we're self-sufficient. So if I get sufficiently angry with you, then I can just say, I don't really need you anyway. I'm just I don't know why I bother with you. And I can work this out and start talking to you for a while. Forgetting that we actually need this other person, we need this relationship in our lives because we're fooled into thinking we're self-sufficient. And then and finally, sin makes us self-righteous. You ever been here? I'm the one that's right in this situation. You are not right. I'm the one that's right. Your sin is the real problem, not my sin. And if you could just see the error of your ways, this would be okay. All right? If you've ever been there, then there's a warning light ought to come on. When you're in that situation going, man, if they could just figure out what they're doing wrong, then this situation would be resolved. And that's, that's the self-righteousness in me. That's the self-righteousness in you coming out. We need to be Suspicious of our own desires. Or, or if you're sitting there saying, this would all go better if they would just listen to me. If they would just listen to me, we could work this out. We need to be suspicious of our own desires. When, when you find yourself in a conflict, the scripture is telling us to pull back and look at your desires. What's ruling today? Is God ruling today? Or are your desires ruling today? Has, has your I want? I want this and I'm going to have this. Is that what at the end of the day is really in charge of the whole situation? Now let me say a, a couple of kind of uh, footnotes here. Uh, because you might be saying, okay, I agree with that. But look, I really feel like this situation that I am in, this conflict, is more than just a simple disagreement. I really feel like I've been sinned against here. I'm being sinned against here by the other person. Now, if, if that's the situation that you're in, then, then let me say a couple things. One is that you need to be, you and I need to be quick to heed James 1.19, which tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because I, I don't know about you, but for me personally, the times when I'm most likely to speak sinfully is if I feel that you have wronged me in some way. And I, buddy, I can, I can lash back out at you if I feel like you've lashed out at me. And so James is saying, look, you may have been sinned against, 
but you need to slow down that you don't so that you don't respond sinfully to being sinned against. Um, if I ever had get Google glasses, I probably need that verse uh, in the top all the time. Or from from First Peter chapter two, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Our first reaction is to go back at somebody when we think they've sinned against us or in the midst of this conflict. And what the scripture is saying is, is, is hold on, you may have been sinned against, but be careful that you don't make the situation worse by responding sinfully to their sin. So that said, um, if you really feel like you've been sinned against, then you've got two options. One is to do what 1 Peter 4, 8 says. It says, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it, it might be something where you can say, you know what, it's okay, I love them, I can forgive them, I'm not going to hold a grudge against them, and so you just let it go and, and move on. And, and that's legitimate to do if you can actually, by God's grace, do that. But, let's be honest, there's a lot of times when we just can't do that. And we say... I'm going to let it go, but then we keep bringing it back up to them or in our own hearts, and we haven't really let it go. And at that point, the scriptures in Matthew 18, that's the route we have to follow. Where Jesus tells us, if your brother sins against you, then you need to go to them and show them their sin. And what that means for us is that you and I don't have this like third option where we just get to hold grudges. And say, well, that's going to be too much trouble to talk to them, and I would rather just be mad at them and distance myself from them and, and not work the situation through. We don't, Jesus doesn't give us this option of just blocking other people out of our lives and saying, well, they sinned against me, I'm not talking to them anymore. He's saying, we need to go to them and work through this. Pray about how you do it, approach them in the right spirit of trying to help them and not to get back at them. But you can't just stew on it indefinitely. You can't just allow this fracture of the relationship to remain. Now there's a flip side to that. There's the situation where you feel like they've sinned against me. There's also the situation where you feel like they've got something against me. Like they think I've sinned against them. They think I've wronged them in some way. And what Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. In other words, your being reconciled with your brother is more important than you finishing the worship service. That, that, that's a, that ought to be a higher priority is to go and to, to have that made right before you continue in worship with me. So, what do we see in all this? How do we agree in the Lord? All right, what are, what are some steps we take? Remember Philippians chapter 2. To, am I really counting the interest of others as more important than my own? Am I considering others better than myself as, as Christ has done? Remember James and be suspicious of your own desires. What's really ruling the situation? Is it God's interest or my interest? interest in this situation. And then thirdly, if you've got something against somebody or you know they've got something against you, then deal with it biblically. 
I'm not going to go through all that again, but deal with it biblically. Now, let me say two things and I'll quit. Number one, sometimes we need help with this. Right? That's why Paul here, he appeals to a third party. Because they're just not, these two are not working it out on their own. And so Paul asks somebody to intervene here. And as Christians, we're not called to go around poking our nose into everybody's business. We're not called to be the sin police. Uh, hey, I heard what you said. But Galatians 6 tells us when we see somebody caught in a sin, when we see brothers or sisters caught up in this conflict that's not being resolved, then we have a responsibility to them to try to love them and help them because we really are our brother's keeper. And then the final thing I would say in this is to remember as you're working through conflict that the power to resolve the situation and to restore the relationship is not your power. It's not your power. It's the power, the power to heal comes from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Power to restore the relationship flows to you from Jesus because you're in a relationship, first of all, with Him. So before you dive headfirst into resolving conflict, you need to make sure that you approach resolving that conflict in the spirit of prayer and dependence. Lord Jesus, would you work in this relationship for my good and for their good and for your glory? And would you restore it? Because I know if I try to do this by myself, I'm just going to make it worse. So we've got to do it all in a spirit of dependence on Christ. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, do you... Um, you may have put your finger on some things in, in our lives, in our, in our families, in our relationships, even this morning, that, that we know um, that they can't keep going the way they are. And so, Father, I pray that you would work healing, that you would work restoration, that you would work forgiveness, uh, that you would work community and oneness into our relationships. Father, we pray that you would do it that you would convict us of the need of this to agree in the Lord and that you would help us to actually do it. Help us to, to have the hard conversations and the difficult conversations that need to be had so that we can love one another as you would have us to. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.